0: How about that Super Bowl? You going this year? Me? Nah. (gasps) Unless there's a coupon for it. Nah. Well, I run the Springfield Travel Agency. We've got a charter bus going down to the game. You help us fill it, you can ride for free. Homer Simpson at the Super Bowl? Dang, that was my last quarterback. Now what am I gonna do?
1: You! Me? Yeah, you. Get your hand off my watch leg. Sorry. It's a
0: deal. And let's go. And coming at you from the basement, the bleak and leaky basement of WCPT (laughs) A20 in Chicago, this is the Sports Cubicle. The inmates run the asylum, and our boss, well, he's going to yell at us tomorrow morning because we're... We're working overtime here, Paulacious, and I mean, do, do we get paid anymore? No, we don't. Oh, okay. I, I'm trying to figure where those checks are from, then. Uh that's, losing... not, that's not a check. That's a bill. Oh, oh, oh! That's why it's that. Oh, that's what shut off notice means. <laughs> There's no electricity in the basement of the basement. So why Marver isn't here? He got repossessed? Yeah, he got repossessed. Ah, shoot, a shame here. But, you know, um, maybe we can trade him something or we can uh, use it something. Like the Bears are doing that number one draft pick that Mike Mercado is going to be talking about. Ooh, there you go. And, um, you know, there's um, been one thing that White Sox fans are finally all agreeing on, Paul
1: What's that? Steve Stone and Jason Benetti back is a good thing. Oh, that's right. There is good White Sox news because there's so much White Sox bad news. Ugh. We'll get to that. You call that good news? I was pulling for you and me. (laughs) Okay, I guess it's all bad
0: news. (laughs) We'll see. But, uh, you know what? I'm going to go file a complaint with Mr. Reinsdorf for uh, Mr. Pinsky right now. So, Mercado! Take it away. With the first pick in the 2013 NFL Draft, the Kansas City Chiefs select
2: Leon Sandcastle. One of the things we've been super excited about since the Bears secured the number one draft pick was all the conversations we were going to have about draft rumors and innuendo and people talking secrets and sending notes and people sending pigeon carriers and ravens. And we will find out what the Bears are going to do late April. Will they trade down? Will they draft somebody at number one? How do they feel about Justin Fields? These are all things that we're going to be able to talk about here on the Sports Cubicle on WCPT 820 AM with The Marvelous One, Dan Marver, Devin Tingle, Paul Shavari, and myself, Mike Mercado, and... Today, I wanted to hit on this that I saw on SI.com from Gene Chamberlain. Mel Kuyper Jr. sees possible Bears double down. And this is an interesting article because there's been a lot of, you know, we've all had the conversation at this point. What we think, our theories, how we would handle where Ryan Poles is at this position with Matt Eberflus, Justin Fields, the number one draft pick in this draft, along with the most money in free agency. Now you also have a new presidency and Kevin Warren so different vibes over at Hallis Hall and how are they going to handle such a monumental moment so we're going to break that down in just a second before we do that I want to talk about huge monumental things huge shout out to the entire WCPT staff uh, we had this awesome mayoral event that they pulled off. We were all downtown Chicago as all the candidates for the Chicago mayoral seats were debating and having conversations about some of the big subjects in our city and Patty Vasquez, and Tana Jackson, Jonas Esposito were the moderators. They did a wonderful job. Of course, the amaz- amazing staff doing the audio stuff from Matt Cummings and of course, our very own Devin Tingle, Paul Shivari, and Bedalia here at the home base. Shout out to all the people who are working with me and with the amazing audience of WCPT and the really great staff of these candidates, the candidates themselves. It was a wonderful time. Check it out. It's on the WCPT Facebook page. You can check out the entire forum. Very proud of that. And it's an example of what we're going to talk about. The Bears We're taking advantage of an opportunity and making the most out of it and everybody stepping up. And it was a team effort. And I think it comes off from the broadcast itself. So I highly suggest that shout out to the entire team. You can check out the pictures over on my Instagram at Mike Mercado Media. And of course, the entire audio over at WCPT820.com and their Facebook page as well. And it's an example of leadership and people coming together and circling the wagon. And that's where the Bears are at this moment. That's where they have to get to this moment. And Mel Kuiper breaks it down. And I wanted to get into this article about where the Bears are, what they can do, and kind of the position they're at in this draft. So, again, this comes to us from Gene Chamberlain over at SI.com. Mel Kuyper Jr. sees possible Bears double down. A year goes by and you forget how much energy Mel Kiper Jr. brings to the NFL draft every year and how much enthusiasm he can generate. The ESPN Dean of Draft Experts joined AM1000's Tom Model and Mark Silverman on Thursday and fired up a big chunk of airtime with positive energy about where the Bears are picking and who they can get, even if he calls this a bad overall draft. That's what I want to get into in just a little bit. Quote, this is a draft where you better do your homework, do your due diligence, pick the right players, because this is not a deep draft, Kuyper told Waddle and Sylvie. It's not a strong draft, it's a weak draft. But it's not as weak if you're the Bears because they need a defensive tackle. They pick number one and Jalen Carter is there. Kuyper has called Carter the player who should go number one to the Bears in his mock drafts, and has stuck by this. Kuyper challenged some of the backtalkers who saw Carter as a bit lazy at times and pointed out he even played with both knees and ankle injuries this season when he didn't need to because his draft status was cemented. Kuyper told Waddle and Sylvie, quote, he had an ankle and a knee in September, so you've got to give the guy a lot of credit for that. However, Kuyper saw an option for the Bears at the position if they decide to move down beyond the top four or five. He is very high on pit defensive tackle, Kalaja Kansi. Go watch his tape. You gotta love this kid, Kuyper said. I mean, he is in the backfield before you could bleak. He plays hard. He's got the low center of gravity. It sounds like Kansi would be an ideal pick as a three technique. He is more the size of Aaron Donald at 280 pounds than Carter at 300 pounds. Kuyper had basically two other major positive points Bear fans will love. The first half is how they really could come away with a dream scenario that would be a double trade down. It's the kind of far-fetched thing that doesn't happen often, but Kuiper sees this as a year it could and it all revolves around how Houston or Indianapolis rates the quarterbacks. Quote, and they saw we can't allow Vegas or Carolina or somebody else to jump to three with Arizona and get that quarterback. So we've got to go up and get that guy, Kuyper said. In that case, the Bears could commit highway robbery and trade down at number two or four. And then if another team back further needs one of the top three quarterbacks remaining, they could move back yet again to gain even more picks. However, it is going to be against the Bears' best interests if teams have all three of the QBs, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and Will Levis, rated similar like in 04 when Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers, and Eli Manning came out, or even 2020 when Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, and Tua were all strong candidates. Possibly the best Bears fans could get was how Kuiper thinks Justin is not someone who should be traded in this draft. To me, there is no quarterback in the draft better than Justin. Fields, So, a lot to get into in that. But I think the big thing to take away from it is the mindset. Whether it's at number one, number three, number four, number five, they're going to get somebody for the interior of that defense. They're going to get somebody that's going to try to wreak some havoc and to build around against opposing quarterbacks. It also seems like, naturally, most people believe that, Justin Fields is their guy, or at least a quarterback within the contract that's worth investing in. And if Calriss, this comes to us from Gene Chamberlain over at SI.com. Mel Kiper Jr. sees possible Bears double down. He was on Waddle and Sylvie this past week talking about the Bears being at number one. We're here on the Sports Cubicle with the Marvelous one Dan Marver, Devin Single, Paul Shavari, and myself, Mike Mercado. Now, I think this also really does put the validity of what I think The Bears are going to do. I do think they're going to trade down twice. I do think it's malpractice if they pick number one, even if it's Jalen Carter, even if it is Anderson. And here's the thing, right? Like if they end up being Miles Garrett, Eric Donald, like you get it right. But you can't allow a moment like this, allow another team's desperation, some cases stupidity to not take advantage of it. Especially when you have what you think is the guy who's going to lead your organization in the future in the most, pos- most important position in all of sports at quarterback with Justin Fields. There's a lot that the Bears have to keep in mind, have to keep track of in this particular moment as we get closer to the combine, as we get closer to free agency, and then we get to draft night. I do think they're going to trade down twice. We have to see what happens with Green Bay, with Aaron Rodgers, a lot of dead, dead money if he leaves that team, if they cut him. We have to see what happens with Derek Carr. We have to see what happens with Tom Brady. What happens with Tua? There's still a lot of activity going on with these quarterbacks. What happens with Brock Purdy if he wins a Super Bowl? Does that mean Jimmy G ends up somewhere else? There's a lot of moving pieces right here, and all the Bears really need to do is stay put, be patient. Let things fall to their place. Let people get desperate. Let people overthink things. That's what's going to happen. The most interesting thing, a lot of these people in charge are smart. Even if they're dumb comparative to some of their contemporaries, like they're smart people in these positions. And when we get to draft day, Somebody gets nervous, somebody gets desperate. Sometimes it's the owner, sometimes it's the coach, sometimes it's the GM, depending on how the relationships are, what the dynamics are, who's pulling the trigger. But somebody's gonna get to that moment. That Thursday night, when Roger Goodell says the Chicago Bears are on the clock, something's going to happen. And some team is going to get nervous. Now I've always, and I had this conversation with Paulie off air, Of what are you willing to give up for somebody like Bryce Young? Bryce Young could be the truth. Bryce Young could be a good player. Bryce Young could flame out. I don't know. It's the NFL. Anything can happen, right? Like, you got to be fair to all of it. He could become the next great thing. Like, anything is possible. But are you willing, without knowing the certainty of it, to invest and trade your entire franchise for the next three years to get that? To get to that point, to get to that moment, to get to that scenario, it might work out for you. Or are you a team like the Raiders specifically where you got a lot of veteran talent? Do you go after Tom Brady? Do you do something with Derek Carr where you move him for a veteran quarterback like an Aaron Rodgers for an example? Now all of this is just moving money. There's some things that can't happen that the cap won't allow to happen. But the Bears... Right now, you can talk yourself into an anxiety-inducing panic attack where, in sports fandom, that is, in that realm, where you, you can see them kind of getting left out in the cold and kind of having to hold the number one pick or not getting the best value from it. You can see that there's a lot of people who don't think it's the most talented draft in the NFL that we've seen. But teams need young quarterbacks. Teams need young quarterbacks who are cost efficient that are, are under the control of, of your salary cap that you could build around it. And at some point right now, yeah, you could look at all the scenarios where it doesn't play out well for the Bears. But come April 27th, right, there's going to be a team, might be a team you don't see coming. It might be one of the obvious ones. It might be chalk, right? Somebody's going to make an offer to the Bears that they can't refuse. And I don't think it's going to be for Justin Fields. It's how many draft picks can you get back? And, you know, speaking of draft picks, this, I saw this report come down. Some rumors have Alex Caruso being moved for two number one draft picks. That'd be very interesting. Two first rounders, that is, for the Chicago Bulls. That would be very interesting, especially since they just moved up in the standings back to a position of the play-in. But we'll keep an eye on that. But it goes to show the value of first round picks, what it sounds like. It's also equity. Right, it's it's stabilization for your career if you're the GM. Where well we have this, I still need time to develop that. We can flip this, and that's also something we gotta keep our eye on. If you're able to get this big haul trading down twice, maybe you do go get Michael Pittman. Maybe you do find a way to get Mike Evans, maybe you do find a way to go get a Devontae Adams. Maybe you don't have to overpay for DeAndre Hopkins. There's a lot of different ways this could play out for the Bears if they just allow it to play itself out for the rest of the NFL. They're in control. They're in control. So I don't wanna see the Bears get desperate themselves. Allow somebody else to do that. Stay calm, cool, and collective. And I understand not trusting the Chicago Bears, not to have the sentiment of Let's have them wait to be calm, cool, and collected because they're not a team that is like that. They're not the team that usually takes advantage of somebody else's nervousness or their impatience They're usually the team that is not sending a trend. And that is what they're kind of doing right now. And I, you have to leave it open that this all blows up in their face. It's still the National Football League. It's still scouting. It's still the lottery, essentially but you have to give credit where it seems at this point they are doing all the right things. They have said the right things. They have put the right teasers out. They have put the right anonymous quotes out, the feelers, if you will. And if they continue to do this, they will get the best and most available assets allowed to them if they keep doing this. But I understand the old the Jerry Angelo days, right? The the Emery days. Like I get the feeling that they're gonna bungle this. But it seems to me that this this ownership, this franchise, has for once put the reins on people who are competent enough to get to do their very best. It may not work out. I mean, we have, you have to keep harping at home. It may not work out. CNFL NFL. It's more than likely not going to. But if you do think that this team has its quarterback, that the foundation of the coaching staff is there, that the front office is there, that it's going to get to the right place before they get their new stadium at Allenton Park, then you have to believe in the calm, cool, and collective. You have to believe in being patient. There, there is no other way that this works out for the Bears than that. Nobody's desperate. Conference championship weekend. Not right now. They'll get desperate, come February, March, into April. They'll get desperate when somebody gets traded. They'll get desperate when there's turmoil that we still haven't seen yet. We know the NFL, there's a story every day. Something's going to happen between now and when the pick is in, when the Bears are on the clock, that is going to change the shape of the NFL. It's just about to happen. That is this league. But the Bears can only control what they can have control of, and that is their mindset, and making sure they stick to the game plan that's working. You have to be flexible. You have to listen to everything. But as long as you're not the dumb team in this scenario, and that's all we're asking for, right? Like, that's not a huge ask to, hey, just don't be the dumb one, please. Just, for once, be the smart team that does the smart thing and that hooks up everybody and the fandom and makes you the envy of the NFL. For once, I think that's the thing most Bears fans are looking for in this whole scenario. Is they don't want to be the dumb fan base. They don't want to be the dumb organization. They don't want to be the team that people make fun of. They want to be proud. They want to have their fandom rewarded. They want to enjoy Sundays at the lakefront when they're freezing and frost-bitten weather. They want to be able to watch on Sunday. Other fan bases be. I want to be a Bears fan. I'm jealous of that team. How many times do you watch Cincinnati, the Bengals, the Bengals, and are like I am envious because they have Joe Burrow and they have Jamar Chase and they have T. Higgins. Or you watch the Bills, even though you know it didn't end well for them, that they have Josh Allen and Steph Diggs. You watch Justin Herbert's arm. He may not win in the playoffs, but the talent's there. You know it's not it's not on him. Brandon Salem, not the smartest or sharpest tool in the shed. And do you want the Bears to be there? You know, is Justin gonna be one of those dudes and that same type of architect? No. But you can tell he's a fun, special player, that he's different, he's unique. Other teams don't have that guy. Just like other teams don't have a Burrow or an Allen. They're all unique, but all unicorns in their own. That's why they're unicorns. That's why they're the special of the special of the special. The Bears don't want to be the number one pick. Bear fans don't want to be the number one pick, and they mess it up. You can't mess it up. You can't afford to mess it up. And that's all they want. They want to see it be competent you may may not strike the billion dollar deal but bears fans will take 500 million you know it's it's there's a lot of leeway this bears this fandom this loyal fandom is willing to give and you see how much fun and people are having this conversation about rumors and trading down and trading for this receiver or this defensive player or this Hall of Famer, blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day, they just want in all the, all the common denominator and all those rumors and all that conversation for Bears fans and everybody in the NFL. It's to not mess it up to be smart, to be competent, to make big person decision, big boy and girl decisions and come through with them and them work out. And I think that's where Bears fans want to see Matt Eberflus, Ryan Poles, Kevin Warren, and the McCaskies come through for them, come through for Justin Fields, come through for the product that they are going to try to put on a silver platter when they open a brand-new, multi-billion-dollar stadium that's going to affect both Chicago and the state of Illinois on so many different levels. It's a lot of pressure, and they can't afford to mess it up. And Bear fans can handle another mess up. But all the fun we're having here, that's what it comes down to. I think that's the nitty gritty of it. And it's going to be something that we always kind of touch back on. Even after all the fun, we're going to have all the rumors of all the different scenarios that might play out but they can't mess this up, and they just got to be patient. But I want to know your thoughts. We're on Twitter at TV. Will the Bears come through? Will they draft at number one? Will they trade down? Will they double down? What do you think they will do come this free agency heading into the NFL draft? We're on Twitter at TV. Leave a comment down below if you're watching the video over at YouTube.com slash Mercado Airwaves Network. Check us out on SoundCloud WCPT 820 AM. Enjoy the rest of the Sports SportsCubicle. It's tomorrow marvelous one, Dan Marber, it's Devin Tingle, it's Paul Shavari, I'm Mike Mercado.
0: Oops, courtesy of WWE and NBC? Well, you heard it there, folks. The American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes, won 2023 Men's Royal Rumble in the WWE. And I know we're the sports cubicle. We really don't talk a lot of pro wrestling here, but, you know, a little bit of fun. And this is just definitely a very interesting story here that does kind of follow the sports world in a sense there. If anyone doesn't know, Cody Rhodes was a former WWE guy. Got sick of working there, didn't like the way he was going, left, and started his own wrestling promotion, and then left that promotion, AEW, which is still around, and then when he, he came back to WWE, put on amazing matches and tore pectoral and was out for months, and then came back and won the 2023 Men's Royal Rumble, and as you're hearing in the thing, it's like, finish the story, and yes, pro wrestling is fake, it's scripted, we all know this, it's a story. And this definitely kind of, you know, is a great story. Started from the bottom, was a scrub, didn't relate really like the company, left, started your own wrestling company, and then come back to the company that you quit from and become the biggest effing star you can be here. And that's kind of what's going on with Cody Rhodes here. It's a really cool sort of story here. But this is the other story that if you do watch WWE, you would know. You know the man who holds the gold, Roman Reigns. Now, this is where it gets interesting. They've been kind of teasing a Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn feud. And this is, this is the problem that kind of falls in with these WWE stories. They plan a lot ahead. But it reminds me a lot of the CM Punk sort of thing. It's like, when you plan your WrestleMania match so far ahead, what happens when you build another star in between that time? And again, this isn't Cody's fault he got hurt. It happens. This isn't like when the Rock's like, I don't want to wrestle every week. But I feel like we're kind of in that predicament again here. But you're not seeing fan total outrage. I mean, when Logan Paul came in at number 29, they booed the living hell out of him. And I think it was because, oh, he's not Sami Zayn. And they knew Cody Rhodes is going to be number 30. And I was worried when Cody came out, it was going to be Batista all over again. Or Batista winning all over again, I should say. But it luckily wasn't the crowd. I mean, definitely, you know, you heard it. I mean, sorry, I love that intro. I wanted to play that, you know, just really symbolize the whole Cody Rhodes has become quite the big star there. And it's just interesting now to see what's going to happen here. They've created another star on a guy like Sami Zayn, who should, in my opinion, be facing Roman Reigns for the title at Mania, the grandest stage of them all. And if you watched last night, the group, The Bloodline, which was Roman Reigns, Sami Zayn, The Usos, and Sokoa, it kind of broke up a little bit. So I'm kind of curious what's going to happen there, because the two members of The Bloodline, The Usos, they hold the tag titles. And one of them left after the beatdown of Kevin Owens and the turn on Sami Zayn at the end. And it's like, what are we going to do now? It's like, because the rumor was it going to be Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn versus the Usos for the tag titles of WrestleMania. But if they're going to break up the Usos in the bloodline right now, well, then it's just, I don't know. We've talked about Vince McMahon stepping down and I think we all kind of agree that was a good thing here. I mean, it's a shame that he only stepped down because he got caught doing stuff he was doing years ago and should have stepped down a long time ago. And then a guy like Triple H came in, put some really good ideas out there. But again, it's just we're back down to square one of this is WWE at its finest because I don't know. I don't think that the Cody Rhodes win is a bad idea at all. Don't get me wrong there. I'm just saying we're at a point now where it's like we have to build this feud while ending another feud all within the course of like two and a half months. And that's not insane. That can be done. Don't get me wrong here. But I'm just saying it's going to really put a damper on that storyline there. Because what do you do with Sami Zayn and Roman Reigns now? And when does Cody Rhodes come into play for this? Cody Rhodes won the Royal Rumble. He'll be on Raw this week. He'll be on Raw uh, tomorrow. I guarantee it. But what's he going to do until then? Or are they just going to do what they do and just, up? Oh, Sami Zayn's not a big muscle guy. We're going to sweep that feud under the rug. Because that's what Vince McMahon likes to do. Vince McMahon's like, if he ain't big and muscly, we're going to sweep the, the... You you deserve to get destroyed in your match against the big muscle man. You don't deserve to put him a fight. And I just think we're back on to that sort of thing here. So, WWE's Royal Rumble. If you're a wrestling fan, you know this is probably more exciting than WrestleMania most years. But just here we are in another case of, oh... Man, WWE is sure as hell repeating itself. But mostly, I'm just glad I gotta talk WWE on the air for once. Now if you don't mind me, I'm gonna go get an American Nightmare neck tattoo. Ow. 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 Oh, suit. I'm not following you. Burns'
1: suit. Burns' suit. Huh? Look at Burns' suit.
0: Yeesh. Ha, ha, ha. I had an idea, Chief. Why don't we check out that suit Burns was wearing when he got shot?
1: Did you have the same backwards talking dream
0: with the flaming carts? I'll drive.
1: Well, the White Sox 2023 season has not even begun, and already I wish it were over. There's been just bad news after bad news. It all pretty much stemmed from the slow roller coaster to uh, death of last season, where they ended up just um, 500, the most boring team, the, the, probably the team with the, uh, that, that overshot and uh, uh, missed its uh, mark of what they should have been last year. They get rid of Tony LaRusso, which was uh, a, a long overdue need for the team, but then they never addressed any of the concerns that came up during the 2022 season. As it stands right now with spring training just a few weeks away, about two or three weeks away, the Sox are going to go with possibly a rookie second baseman, a rookie right fielder who at least is a top prospect, but still relatively unproven. Uh, the highest uh, off-season signing would be Andrew Benintendi, which is nice, but let's see, you know, this isn't exactly a household name when it comes to baseball players. And and then Mike Clevenger, the one pitcher that they signed in their starting rotation, and they had a chance to sign... Johnny Cueto, who was arguably their best pitcher last season, and instead go with Clevenger. Not a bad deal at first because it's $12 million. It's one season. It's basically a reclamation project where maybe Clevenger can regain the form that he had about five to six years ago. But then it was released this week that Mike Clevenger is actually under investigation by Major League Baseball for their domestic violence policy. Um, As he is alleged to have done um, several acts of domestic violence and child abuse, including throwing uh, chewing tobacco on a screaming infant child and strangling, um, strangling her. Uh, If this is true, this is horrible, Devin. And the White Sox need to cut ties with Clevenger. I understand at this point, while they're waiting for the results of the investigation, they're still holding on to him. But the White Sox are claiming that they didn't know about this when they signed him, which I don't know if I necessarily believe the team because this comes just three years after Tony La was hired. And then after they announced the hiring, the very next day, it was announced that he was charged with his second DUI. And that was months before the White Sox even talked to him. So it makes you wonder are the White Sox being dishonest with the fan base in terms of what they know about these people that they're signing? Or does major league baseball really need to be better about disclosing who's under investigation? And and I'll throw in a third part, or do the agents and free agents need to negotiate in good faith when these things are going on? Because that feels like withholding valuable information that um would affect of course the the resulting negotiation. There's there's times where when trades are made and there's physicals and if a team doesn't like the or maybe not so much in trades, but in um I think it does happen in trades, but in, in signings, and you saw it with Carlos Correa, if if a person fails their physical after signing with the team or after the agreement has been made, they can you know, uh, cancel the the negotiation or cancel the uh, agreement, you know, because they never put pen to paper. And I think in this one how it's different is pen was put to paper and then it was found out, in which I think that's unfair to the team that's negotiating because, they, you know, this isn't a physical. This isn't something they can run through a doctor. Now, teams do need to be better about how they investigate certain players, but it's... I don't. I don't think it would be fair to the players or the teams to start having private investigators going around spying and all these guys are digging up as much dirty work or uh, dirt as possible on what these guys are are doing. And and I think Major League Baseball opened the investigation, so it's their responsibility to reveal that.
0: And I agree with you, Paul. But here's the thing: with going with part three, there of uh, like the players who sign in good faith. If this is true, if you're a guy who beats the crap out of his wife and spits on his kids, are you gonna honest? You're gonna be
1: honest in good faith. You're gonna make some money. I I'm with you on that. You know, because you wouldn't disclose something, especially if you were trying to. Um, I, I'm assuming Clevenger is denying that this happened, and and it might be a he said she said sort of thing, which is why there's a long investigation. It doesn't sound like there's a criminal investigation, which kind of. Changes a little bit because then it's then then the the jury and the judge is now Major League Baseball and the court of public opinion, unfortunately. Whereas when you have a criminal investigation, you kind of can leave it in the hands of the authorities. And if there is criminal charges, well, you know, darn well that that this this person, uh, you know, at least uh, there's a case to be made for this person uh, doing what they're alleged to have done. This is a, this is a hard one, and this has been more bad news after more bad news because this comes just a few weeks after it was announced that Liam Hendricks is going to be missing the season, presumably for uh, uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer treatment. Which you know, I can't imagine that he'd be coming back this season. Um, you know, and then of course, like I said at the top here, how they never really adge- addressed any of the concerns that they had going into the off season, and they feel that despite the fact that They got bounced out of the playoffs horrendously in 2021 and did horribly in 2022, just basically staying a 500 team that was expected to win 90 to 100 games. They think that they have what it takes to be better than those past two versions of their ball club. And I just, I'm scratching my head wondering how that can be. And now that one of the reasons that they thought that they were in good shape is completely out the window because i can't imagine mike clevenger would be pitching for the white Sox at all this season especially if this were true
0: if it's true i will say that allegedly and we don't know how long this investigation is going to take here and i mean i i have to say allegedly because i don't want you know mike clevenger suing our ass or anything afterwards because we know he listens we know the white Sox listen to us that's why they never follow our advice here but it just go, i mean i it's horrible what he did, but let's look at this kind of from the sports perspective, not so much the human faith perspective. I've been saying they should have at least signed one more starting pitcher here because now they're potentially out. And you want to know who they might replace him with, Paul Asius? Oh,
1: I, probably a minor leaguer. I don't know. Garrett Crochet. They want to transition him to starting pitcher. And and Crochet would be great in the bullpen right now, especially yep. because he doesn't have a lot of experience pitching as a starter since he graduated from, I think the University of Tennessee back in 2020, th- that's three years ago. I mean, you know, and, and we're coming up on the spring here. That was that was a pandemic shortened season, uh, a, a, and a season where he went straight from the draft to the team with a stop at uh, Schaumburg because that was their their minor league facility essentially for that season. So and then Crochet has the Tommy John surgery last season. He wouldn't be available until about May, I want to say at the earliest. I I just think that's bad to to all of a sudden put him in a in a position where he would have a, a a giant ramp up in innings when they could really use you know a lefty that throws incredibly fast out of the bullpen. Would be great to have in an eighth inning or ninth inning role, maybe even seventh inning role. The White Sox have options for closers. I mean, Joe Kelly probably not the best option. Kendall Graveman would be good. Aaron Bummer, we're hopeful hopefully, hopefully he can uh, regain the form that that made him one of the better pitchers in the league. You know, couple that with you know maybe you have Jake Diekman in the later innings. Maybe you have, um, you know, and they, they have several other bullpen options as well. You know, Ronaldo Lopez, I think Jose Ruiz. Um, you know, so so crochet could fit into that mix, and I get that he has the starting experience from college, but I just think that that's it. Seems like a desperation move for the White Sox. You would mm-hmm. almost wish that they would promote someone from the minor league system that's been building to be a starting pitcher. Or just find someone off the scrap heap like they did with Johnny Cueto last year just to just eat innings until they can fi- finally figure out a situation, maybe make a trade that's beneficial to their team as well as another team because you know, they're still sitting on Gavin Sheets. They're still sitting on, you know, um, you know, maybe even uh, on another prospect, you know, or, or maybe they can move, uh, you know, part ways with uh, Eloy Jimenez or Luis Robert. You, you hate to say it, but... If it can net you the proper return that could sustain your ball club longer, instead of relying on one guy to stay healthy in a position that he's already out of position at, I, I think you got to make those risky moves because you didn't prepare yourself going into spring training and you let you know, you couldn't help the Liam Hendricks thing. You maybe could have helped the Mike Clevenger thing, but you already set yourself backwards before those two incidents occurred. So it's Rick Hahn has got to have the toughest position in major league baseball as a general manager. But at the same time, some of this seems like it's his own fault. And and some of it feels like that it's a solvable situation. It's just, you're probably going to have to make an incredible sacrifice in a, in a giant risk at at this point. It's got to be a scratch and win card, you know, with like 50 to one odds, basically that that's, that's where they're at right now. It's like, Sure, the, the odds aren't great, but at the same time, if you do it properly, you could net a very good return for yourself.
0: And I just don't see it being done properly here, Paul. A. No. Just, and just, we, we've talked about this. This farm system, it, it, it's almost non-existent. What is the farm system? That's where the like the pigs and cows are at? Come on, no. <laughs> that, that's, that's what it is, actually, with the White Sox. pigs and cows. At the very to
1: least, they had two top 100 prospects on MLB Pipeline's like new list. And the, Can you name who the two are? No. Can you name two prospects for the White Sox? Currently? I said one right now. He's going to be the starting right fielder. Oscar Colas. Oh, Oscar Colas. I... And then Colson Montgomery. Oh, I've who's, heard who's my... still a few years away. You know, I mean that's not promising. This this was a farm system that was ranked at the bottom of Major League Baseball the last couple of seasons. They did not develop prospects. They put themselves in this position and it's very frustrating because going into the season before the Hendricks announcement, I was thinking maybe this team could compete for first place. Because it's just such a weak division, the uh, Guardians don't scare me that much. I don't think the Tigers have improved that much. This is before the Twins ended up with Correa. After Correa, you know, couldn't sign the Giants, couldn't sign the Mets because of a, a leg injury that uh, they just didn't want to commit to. And even then, I, you know, the, the the Twins don't necessarily scare me, but they've been making some moves, especially the trade they made of the Marlins recently, um, you know, bolstering their pitching staff getting um, uh, Pablo Lopez. Even then, I was thinking the White Sox, first or second place in the Central. Now that we've said all this, I'm thinking third or fourth at best. And that's We're crazy left. that just two guys being gone could do that, but I just don't see how they've improved.
0: Exactly. I mean, we've talked about the new management with Pedro Grafau could definitely change something around, but we won't know that until the season starts. You know, the, uh, we learned in 2019 and 2020, like, These players have performance. Why in 2021 did they just crap the bed? We'll never know here. And I mean, I hate to say this, but just everything right now just screams White Sox, screams Jerry Reinsdorf. And I mean, I hate to say this, but I remember way back in like 2005, 2006, I said the only thing that's going to save the Blackhawks is the death of Bill Warts. Uh-oh. I'm not going to finish this sentence, but I think we all know what I mean
1: here. I said the same thing about Al Davis and the Raiders, although they never really totally improved uh, after his passing. But, um, yeah, I mean, and this is a different situation in the sense that it, it's more comparable to the Wirtz situation than the Davis situation in the sense that the the business side of things, not so much the personnel side of things. Keep them good, but not good enough. Yeah, and and you know, and Wirtz had some old school business tactics, but, but even with the the White Sox, it still seems like that Reinsdorf is operating this team with the same business model that he had back in 1981 when he bought the team. And I think you know a lot of people talk about what you were saying that you know if Reinsdorf is no longer the chairman, things will get better. And and I don't. I don't totally subscribe to that theory. Um, I mean, you know, he's not the majority owner; he's the elected chairman of that board. So, whoever's going to replace him is either going to be someone that the board has already been grooming to be, you know, the replacement to Jerry, or someone's going to be, you know, the bold person that's going to step up and say, "No, no, I, I have a plan. We're going to fix this. We're going to do things differently here." And, and that's what I'm, I'm waiting to see. You know, I know that we talked about a month ago. I was I was speculating that they're probably due at some point in the next 10 years to start crying, woe is us, um, about attendance and about the um, attention that they're receiving that they are going to consider. You know, and then the stadium's getting older, even though that's a nice stadium and it was built, you know, when when stadiums were built durable, you know, like I I can't, I don't think structurally there's anything wrong with guaranteed rate field. And I think it provides a lot of options for entertainment, you know, the luxury boxes, the, you know, the um, accessibility. And I've heard rumors that they want to build a new stadium or relocate. And at this point, it's like, well, I I think that's, you know, it's like it's like the cycle again of where they were at with the old Comiskey of like, are they going to threaten their fan base and and their uh, local politicians with a relocation to a different city altogether outside of the Chicagoland area, uh, just so they can get their new stadium, or are they for real going to move to a new st- city because it's just a better business option for them? I think they could do more good for themselves from a, from a dollars and cents standpoint in Nashville or Charlotte or, you know, Vancouver or Portland or Las Vegas or, you know, pick whichever major league city or city that doesn't have a major league team yet. Uh, and and they could probably thrive there. Or will it take a real owner to step up and say, no, we are a team in the third largest market. We are blessed to be where we're at. We're going to take what we're given and we're going to improve from there and start spending money on the team.
0: I mean, the White Sox did that once, and you know they threatened to move to what, is it Florida, I believe. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like we're living in Major League in that case, but I don't think they're really trying to tank the team that bad just yet here. But you know, we're just—it's just—I hate to say this, Paul—it's just been so much of the same for the past five, six years now. I mean, yeah, 2019 they were terrible, but especially these last three years, where it's like everything fell into place, you know. I I bought into the
1: rebuild. I I thought the way that they. You know, they needed to change pace, but I just feel like it was so cyclical that now they're back to where they were when they started the rebuild. You know, when they were selling us on Jeff Samarja and Melky Cabrera being the saviors to the ball club, you know, when when uh, past his prime Jimmy Rollins, who didn't even finish the season, was the answer to the ball club. So I I totally get when Rick Hahn did the mired and medi- mediocrity, you know, and, and just you know, blew up the whole thing. I totally understand where they were at, why they did what they did. And if you remember, Devin, at the time, we didn't even know if, if you know, the speculation around the sports community of Chicago was, is Rick Khan really the GM of the White Sox, or is it is he just an appendage of the Reinsdorf-Ken Williams, you know, uh, regime? And it still kind of feels like that he's an appendage but at the same time, he has his fingerprints all over this rebuild. And and either it was terrible scouting or just uh, terrible luck with Joan Mankata never really truly living up to the expectations. Ever since he got COVID in 2020, he was never the same ball player. And it was a shame because in 2019, he was starting to turn the corner and become you know, the prospect that, He was in the the Red Sox system and then coming up in the White Sox system. The uh, Aloy Jimenez injury, um, you know, maybe that's something that the Cubs saw that that the White Sox didn't see it. Or or maybe that was just, um, you know, now that he's getting older, his body's getting a little bit bigger. He's just not built for the outfield. He should have been a DH all the way, um, but has never really had time to develop his hitting because he's been so injury prone the whole time. Uh, who am I missing? You know, Louise Robert with his I- injury concerns. Y- Yasmani Grandal, I think that was, you committed to a guy that was uh, a little old, but at the same time, they didn't have money for JT Real Muto, so they go with the next best guy, and and of course, Grandal came, you know, with great accolades, and, and I think in 2021, he was a great, despite the fact that it was like, low batting average, it was still great on base, yes. and one of the better offensive, drew so many catchers. walks. Yeah. 2022 you saw the flaws and so this is going to be a big season for him to come back and I think they're still on the hook for 2024 if uh you know if it doesn't work out so it's a lot of money that you're throwing away if you have to part ways with Yasmani Grandal uh you know the, the Dallas Keuchel signing was never a good idea but they needed to get a guy and he and he you know, you, you get a former Cy Young Award winner. You, you get a guy that I think was still putting up some decent numbers with Houston. And sure, in a pandemic shortened season, he had the best ERA in the American League. But that's on a small sample size. Uh, but that was a disaster of a signing. And it was way more money than they've committed to to other pitchers. You know, in the past. So I I think it was a series of of bad moves, bad scouting. But I totally understand why they did it. I totally subscribe to the rebuild. I don't think they need to totally blow it up just yet. But like I was saying a little bit earlier, that I think you've got to make a bold move. Like, you've got to trade an Aloy Jimenez. Or, a, I guess, what's the incentive to keep any of these guys? You know, especially if if someone has peak value right now, you could turn that into another starting pitcher or another position player that might be a little bit more suitable for your needs. Someone that actually might be deemed worthy enough to play that position every single day because they've practiced at that and have shown sustained success at that position. But, hey, that's just that's just me uh, ranting there. Let's start with getting rid of Rick Khan I don't know if I want to do that. I, that's what I'm saying. Is, is, it Rick's, is it Rick Hahn's fault or
0: is it Kenny Williams' fault? And that's the thing. If we get rid of Rick Hahn and bring in someone else, we will know. Who's to blame for it.
1: exactly? But then, and then, Rick Khan Rick was the guy that was smart enough to trade Chris Sale for two great prospects. He was the guy that was smart enough to trade uh, uh, Jose Adam Quintana mean. for for two great, you know, prospects. But he's also the guy that was dumb enough to trade uh, Fernando Tatis at seventeen years old for James Shields. Which you know, we're not going to go deep into that because at the time, I don't think anyone was out there. Saying that uh, uh, Fernando Tatis was going to be the second coming of uh, you know of of, of a great Major League Baseball player. Let's
0: take a look at how much he gets paid by the Padres and how much he's played like the past year and a half.
1: Exactly. Maybe the White Sox did dodge a bullet, but at the same time, they at least would have had that prospect. Let let me say it,
0: Paul. White Sox won the Tatis trade.
1: (laughs) It is fun to say. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna agree or disagree with you. I think the jury's still out on that. It's not the same as the Khalil Mack trade. Oh, you're back to this crap again. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I know what you're doing. I know exactly what you're doing. Well, I don't think we're going to be able to fix the White Sox. I don't know if we're going to be able to fix the Bears draft situation. I don't know if we're going to be able to fix anything, Devin, but what I do know is that this is going to do it for another edition of the Sports Cubicle. I want to thank everyone for listening. For Devin Tingle, Mike Mercado, Dan Marver, if we can get him back, and myself, Paul Shavari, this is the Sports Cubicle. We are on WCPT, 8.20 a.m., Chicago's Progressive Talk, where facts matter. Santita starts your week off tomorrow, 6 a.m.
0: Going to be the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl.